Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. Our desire is to unleash a family of healthy disciple makers in Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Is there anyone in here who's grateful that there is power, 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 not only in his blood, but in his excellent name? Is there anyone who's grateful today? Is there anyone who's grateful? I didn't know if I was going to be able to come up here. I was weeping. Clarissa, thank you for reading. Terry and team, everybody, thank you. My goodness. Uh, it's hard to talk about Costco after that, uh, but I'm going to tell you about Costco. Last weekend, I had the, the privilege, you could say, of being introduced to a place that some of you may know. Do I have any Costco members, past, present, future, in the house? Okay, you didn't put your hands up. Y'all may not be proud of this. Is there anyone who pays to be a grocery store member Y'all still don't have your hands up. They just like, <laughs> I'm going to leave. I, I, I expected card members to be like, right here, business, hey. Uh, but no, okay, that's fine. Sam's Club, I'll give you some shine. <laughs> that, hey, I need to tell Costco that we did, a, we did a survey, and Sam's Club members are proud. Ah, that's hilarious. So I go to Costco, and many of you, this may be normal, but I was overwhelmed by two things. You know, I'm, I'm going in, and I'm expecting, like, rows and ceiling, floor-to-ceiling, like, cereals, you know, and, like, produce in abundance. Like, you could just walk out with a bag of produce, like, hey, I'm gone. That's what I was expecting, and I walked in, and it was appliances. That caught me so off guard. I don't know. Some of y'all, that may be normal, but I was like, there's a TV. Why is there a TV? But then the second thing that I noticed was the people. So I'm a, I'm a natural people watcher. Do I have any other creeps in the building? Anybody in here who likes to? Yeah, yeah, just call it what it is in this place, okay? Anybody else who likes to lurk? But like in a normal way. Uh, <laughs> at the mall, just watching people. You know, because um, I'm that guy. You know, I just like to watch people. But now I have kids, so people think it's fine because they're like, oh, he's got kids. They, they're my kids, too. Right? Just don't take somebody else's kid because then they'd be like, this is doubly weird, right? But uh, I'm watching people, and I just noticed that uh, it's kind of like, like Mach 1 or F1, whatever the racing series, NASCAR. I'm from Weatherford, Texas, so I'm thinking of NASCAR. Uh, just like buggies flying. I'm talking people hoofing, getting their steps in, right? Fitbits jumping. And I was a, a little bit shocked by that. And the kind of flip side of that is that people were by no means paying attention to other people. It was like out the way, no, they need horns on these buggies. Uh, and people just not paying attention, just weaving. And I'm like, my child is right here, man. Like, I know Jesus, but like, please don't hit my, my child with a cart. You will be carted out of here. I'm just kidding. I'm 5'7". So, um, people 
I notice, don't have time to be interrupted. They're on a mission. They have a purpose. This list needs to get knocked down, right? I, I can't make time for other people. I can't make time to see you. You are currently in my way. You're a problem. That was what I observed at Costco. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who goes to Costco is like this. It could have just been something was in the air that day. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm above it. It just caught me off guard, and it gave me pause, and it made me consider my own life and how I operate, not just at the grocery store, but all the time. Because Costco is built on a system of efficiency, okay? So you spend the least amount of time and the least amount of money, and you come out with the most stuff possible, right? It's built on efficiency, which is a good thing. Is there anyone in the house who could say, praise the lamb for growing in efficiency? You guys just signed up. You volunteered yourself to get got. You don't know that I'm flipping it on you, right? But there is a bad side. There's a dark side to the moon of efficiency, okay? And it is called... Uh, I'm not going to tell you yet, but you know. I just want to build some suspense here. There's a cost that comes with efficiency. And here's my, my first question. It's going to sound like, what? <laughs> Are you happy? Legitimately, deep down in the innermost parts of your person, are you happy? Do you like being caught up in a constant assembly line of efficiency? Don't answer that. It's rhetorical. Like you weren't already, so there you go. But are you happy? The other side of that is do you see people? Like do you really see them? Or could you be characterized as irritable, constantly looking for ways to play bumper carts and get around to other people as quickly as possible? Do you see them as people or do you see them as problems? Are you irritable? Are you easily bothered? Are you set off? And here's the last thing. If, if you continue with some of your patterns and habits, it's a little bit heavy, all right, okay, I'm sorry. I, I tried to warn you a little bit. But if you look down the corridor of life, if you could see your current self and those patterns and the future self that you would have based on habits and patterns, is that who you want to grow up to be? And I would contend that most of us would answer no. My question is, what will you do about it? Thankfully, Jesus said, he made a promise. He said, I will make you, I will make you to become. Now, there's not a hard stop there, but Jesus promised to develop those who follow him. He promised to form his disciples. And in today's passage, as we go after him and become fishers for people, here's what we see in Mark 5. This is a wordy question, and I'm going to just risk it anyways. I'm going to full send here. What does Jesus' power, 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 empower disciples with powerful faith to do? When you think of Mark 5, 21 to 43, I want this question 
to come to mind. Now, you're going to be like, there's no way I could keep up with that question, Ryan. And I'm like, I know, okay? Put it as a bumper sticker on your buggy at the grocery store. What does Jesus' power empower disciples with powerful faith to do? Continuing again and, and follow me, and we're in Mark 5. We're picking up where we left off. And there's a mantra, okay? Say the mantra with me. Everybody do me a favor. Take a deep breath in. And shake your face when you blow it out like this. I can't believe that you actually did that. Some of y'all are too dignified. All right, we're going to talk about Jairus just for you. Uh, but, all right, we're ready. Say the mantra with me. Uh, we are saying that we want to become disciples in the? Disciples on the? go, and disciples are faithful, right? So that's what we're doing, and that's saying as a church, that's what we want to be. We want to be disciples in the know. We want to be disciples on the go, and disciples who are faithful no matter what, right? That's also a, uh, an outline for Mark. So we're in this spot of being disciples in the know, and when you know Jesus, when you know who he is, when you respond to him appropriately, what does that look like? Mark also gives us some inappropriate, like don't respond in this way. That shows that you may not know him appropriately. And so today, with this question in mind, with this problem in mind, this is, this is what I want to say. What does Jesus' power empower disciples with a powerful faith to do? Pay attention. Pay attention. Do me a favor, say pay attention. Okay, y'all aren't ready. Turn to your neighbor and say Pay attention. If they, if they divert, if they pull out their phone, if they're making a grocery list later on in the sermon, I want you to touch your neighbor and say, pay attention. You already got it. Okay, you're ready. Here we go. Here's my, here's my, my, my first thing. I'm going to have three pieces to paying attention, all right? And I just want to tell you, if you will pay attention to this passage, if you will pay attention to this person, Jesus, he promises that he will make you into someone that you like. Now, you may not like it initially, but down the corridor of life, Jesus promises you're going to be happy with who you come out to be. It might cost you something, but we'll get there. Here's the first part of pay attention. Say pay attention. Pay attention, pay attention by inviting interruptions, all right? Pay attention by inviting interruptions. We get into our text, and as soon as Jesus stepped off the boat, doesn't it sound like last week, he's confronted, this crowd barged in on him. So whatever plans he may have had coming back on his side of town, they're thrown, gone. And what does he do? Well, he picks right up where he left off. Uh, Mark says that this is the same crowd that he leaves. The crowd stays waiting for Jesus. When Jesus comes back, it might connote that Jesus, you know, takes back up in teaching, letting them know. But he welcomes the crowd. And whatever it is that he's doing with the crowd, Enter Jairus or Jairus. What do you guys want to say? Miss Terry, you pick. Is it Jairus? That's what we're going with today. Jairus, okay? Jairus intercepted the moment. And before I talk about the idea of interruptions, uh, I want to point your attention to a couple of things. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, it says, One of the synagogue leaders, skip a couple words, fell at his feet and begged him Earnestly. Now we see that idea of begging again that we saw last week, right? But he fell down at Jesus' feet. There's a, a reputable Greek lexicon that doesn't matter, but let me tell you what it says about this word. It says, this is falling down to the ground as a sign of humility, typically before high-ranking persons, especially when one approaches 
with a petition. So if you want to know kind of the, the world inside of and behind that word in particular, that's what it is. So you have Jairus, who has a pretty high seat in society, right? He's a respectable dude. People know who he is, and he has a little bit of, maybe not like authority, but he has a little bit of like responsibility. He has some weight to throw around in the neighborhood, right? People expect something of him. This isn't somebody that you would see doing things that are undignified. Like he wouldn't be in the gathering of the people of God. He wouldn't be doing that, all right? So I see you out here, Jairus's, okay? I'm just kidding. But someone with a high seat in society has a way of welcoming humility when pain and petition come. Has anyone learned through pain and petition how to be humble, how to ask for help? I had a pastor one time who taught me that pain will teach you what pride can't. Y'all might know him. Do you want to finish? They like it. Okay. All right. But Luke tells us, this is, we're in Mark, but Luke tells us that this was Jairus's or Jairus's only daughter. So he hears about Jesus and comes asking for help. He's in a hurry to get Jesus to champion his cause. That's what's happening. And the words that he uses are, come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. And you know what's funny is the words get well, say get well. Those words are the same word for saved. Y'all know we love that saved word, right? Like I'm saved, I've been saved, I was saved back. We love that word saved, but here it's used in a way to, to connote uh, deliverance or healing, right? This dude, Jairus, I'm going to stop trying to say Jairus. This dude, Jairus, knew that Jesus' touch was strong enough to save, strong enough to deliver, strong enough to heal. And we're going to come back to that idea, but I wanted you to pay attention to it so you're ready later. Jesus certainly paid attention to it. Now, in my household, you may be familiar from last week, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and so often, looking at my wife, looking at my wife Often, he will just jump into a conversation. He's not involved in the conversation. He just likes to be a part, right? And he wants to tell you what he's thinking about. And so Theo is learning how to say something. If you're a parent in the room or a teacher in the room, you might know what it is. Theo's learning how to say, Woo! We got some, some seasoned saints in this building today. Theo's learning how to say, Excuse me, how to interrupt politely. But look at what Jesus does here. Jesus didn't say, um, excuse me, Jairus, you need to say excuse me. Jesus didn't say, take a number. Hey, the line, the line starts back there. Uh, he just simply went along with Jairus. It, he doesn't say anything. Mark doesn't re uh, record any words from Jesus. He just goes along because Jesus was interruptible. Jesus invited interruption. You know why? Because he paid attention to people. And he noticed the nuances that signified their faith. So here, again, Jesus paid attention. He invited the interruption, and he pivoted what he was doing 
For Jairus in particular, Jesus wasn't so caught up in the crowd that he couldn't pay attention to people, to their pain, or to their petitions. Now, on one hand, you could take from this passage something that I think all of us need to know, and that's what you're going through isn't too small for Jesus to pay attention to. It doesn't matter if what you're going through has to do with your 12-year-old daughter being diseased and on her deathbed or if it's something much, much smaller. There is nothing that he will not care about. Okay, are you tracking with me? He cares for and he wants to hear from you, so hold on to that. Now, on the other hand, there's something else that this passage is showing us, and it's that Jesus was interruptible. Are you? Are you interruptible? Do you have a posture that invites interruptions or repels them? I'll frame it this way. Do you make people feel small when they approach you, or do you make them feel seen? Now, the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's what we give out to kids when we dedicate um, kids and babies, ha- tells this story. And in it, it says they didn't have ambulances, so they had to go by foot. Jesus' helpers knew that he would heal the sick girl, but they must hurry. If Jesus didn't get there soon, it'd be too late. Now, Sally Lloyd-Jones communicated the emotion of that passage perfectly, and part of the reason that we view interruptions as impediments. Hurry. Hurry. Say hurry. Now, I've been up here before, and I've quoted this before. Alabama has a song, I'm in a hurry to get things done. Rush and rush until life's no fun. All I've really got to do is live and die. I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Prophetic, decades-old song. And you, you could believe that it was written now. I don't know if it would be played now, but it could be written now, Right? But remember, Costco, efficiency is not bad, but it can have some bad ramifications. It can breed hurry in us, and I would say that it has. And the cost of hurry is that we don't pay attention. We don't see people. We see problems. John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, you may have heard about it. We have talked about it copiously, I feel like. He has this one sentence, this one simple phrase that is haunting. He said, hurry and love are incompatible. Oil and water, they do not mix. Moreover, efficiency breeds inflexibility. So what happens is now our plans, our purposes are on par with God's, or maybe they are in place of God's. And I get it. Look, Time is expensive. We all know this. It's the only resource that you cannot get back, that you cannot get more of. So we want to save as much of it as possible. I understand that. I, re- I really do. Paying attention to interruptions, though, might be cheap when the cost of hurry is our souls. It's our inner worlds. 
It's all that is going on within us. Why choose efficiency when you look into the future and say, I want nothing to do with that person? The trade-off there sounds way more expensive than being interruptible. And in becoming interruptible, we become like Jesus. Interruptions are part of our spiritual formation. I'll make the case. There's a guy named Ronald Rollheiser. He's a Catholic spiritualist and author. He has a book called The Domestic Monastery. Uh, it is like 100 pages, the skinniest book you'll ever read, maybe. Uh, but something that he says in it is, a monastery is a place to learn that time isn't ours, but God's. He then makes this point that when you are with littles all the time or keeping up with your home all of the time, when there are these things that are coming up constantly, that those things function like a monastic bell, like a monastery. He says, a parent hears the monastic bell many times during the day, has to drop things in mid-sentence and respond, not because they want to, but because it's time for that activity and time isn't one's own, but God's. You don't have to be a parent to feel the weight of this. God brings interruptions to us all of the time. And as we invite and welcome these interruptions, we are welcoming likeness to Jesus. We are becoming an interruptible people. We are becoming like our king. We are becoming a people who pay attention. Pay attention by inviting interruptions. And when you see people, you are now seeing an opportunity for Jesus' power, power, wonder-working power. There's another interruption, and it introduces the second point. So we said pay attention by inviting interruptions. Now we're going to say pay attention to Jesus' power. This sermon has two different uh, stories, if you will, about Jesus' power. And a lot of people will connect last week's sermon and this week's sermon from the standpoint that there are four showings. Are you tracking with me real quick? Okay, here's a little bit of cerebral, we in the clouds. Four different depictions of Jesus' power, four different displays of his power. You could call this sermon power part two if you wanted to, but what happens is that Mark plays movie director. So you have a woman who's not in the current scene. Mark pans. He breaks to tell her story and then catches it up to speed with where we are in this passage. And the text is cinematic for real in the way that it describes her situation. There are seven participles. Y'all know what a participle is? It's a word that ends in ing, the idea of it being ongoing. Our seven R's. They're participles, right? Rightly dividing the Bible because we're always doing it. Reproducing followers of Jesus because we're always doing it, right? Mark uses participles, and it's this kind of ongoing, movement-heavy, it's fast-paced. And here's what he does. You can see it right here. Suffering, verse 26, having endured much, she's, uh, having spent everything she had, she's uh, not having been helped, She's becoming worse. And then it comes to more uh, closer to our passage. Having heard about Jesus, she's coming up behind him, and that's where it catches right up to speed with all of these participles painting this picture of her ongoing suffering. And as a reader, it draws us in, right? We're drawn inward, but we're also drawn downward. 
we, 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 we gain an empathy. It's like watching the opening scene of Up. Talk about like the fastest anybody can make you cry. Am I right? If you don't know, go look it up on YouTube. It will ruin your day. And notice that she isn't named in the passage. That's on purpose. It's depicting the fact that she's unknown in the community, right? She's, uh, it's a function of her not being welcome, not just in the community, but with communal worship. And over a decade, she cannot do this. She couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple. She has to be outside of the city walls because she's unclean. That is her situation. Because of that, she's either never been married or she's divorced, both of which hint at poverty. And the little that she had is now gone, and she has nothing to show for it. But can I get a witness that she'd heard about Jesus? Is there anyone else in here who heard about Jesus? Now, in the Net Bible, they translate verse, let me see, verse 28. They translate it as she kept saying, look at verse 28, for she said, but in the net they say, she kept saying. This is beautiful. Because of the specific verb tense, it's like an iterative, like she's reiterating something. She's saying it over and over again. It's like she's trying to muster up the courage to go and touch Jesus. Her daily affirmation, if you will, was, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And there it is again. Well, there what is again? Well, I told you he was coming back to it. Made well is the same word for saved. Saved. So this woman knew, Jairus knew that if Jesus touches, that's enough. This woman knew that if I just touch Jesus, that will be enough to save. That will be enough to deliver. That will be enough to heal. And the net Bible team, they go on and they say that Mark is reading a point that, or making a point that if, if the reader will just reach out and touch Jesus, that you too can be saved. So is there anyone in here who would say, I've read that story. I've heard about that Jesus. I could say that I've touched him and I've been saved. I've reached out to Jesus. Maybe there's someone who could shout in this place, I've been saved by his power. I've been touched by his healing. He has delivered me. Okay. Well, I just need to say one quick thing, and it's the idea that this text is not communicating that Jesus heals every time, all the time. Okay? What Mark wants to communicate, and I could spend hours and I won't, okay? So just take my word for it or come talk to me after. Mark is communicating the power of having faith in Jesus' power. That is the point. Mark wants us to see faith. Mark cares deeply about readers having faith. But it did turn out well for this woman. Look at verse 29. I'm going to read a couple verses. It says, instantly, say instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. I, if you couldn't tell, I love this. Jesus was touched and turned around. He changed direction. 
Oh, man. Disciples don't get it here, right? They're like, Jesus, don't you see what's happening? Look at all these people. It could have been anybody. But the disciples are a little bit clueless. Again, are the disciples in the know? Mark is painting a picture. They don't get it, but they have good reason. We always do, don't we? Their concern is to get to uh, Jairus' house where a real emergency exists. The question Jesus raises would only cause more of a delay. But the Jesus Storybook Bible, once again coming through, it says, but Jesus always had time. He wasn't in a hurry. Instead, he was, he was looking around. He was paying attention, if you will. He was trying to find the culprit. He was wanting to see who'd done it. Jesus was and still is looking for those who have a powerful faith. In what? In his power. Jesus pays attention to powerful faith. Now, he also pays attention to small faith. It's a different sermon for a different day, but the point here is that Jesus will pay attention to you no matter what it is that you're dealing with. And you might be saying, I don't know, man. I'm feeling afraid of bringing it to Jesus. I'm feeling afraid to let go. What if he thinks this or that about me like like last week? You know, like (laughs) it wasn't a graveyard. I'm feeling a little bit nervous. So is she. Look at verse, I think it's 33. The woman, with fear and trembling, fell down before him and starts dumping the truck and confessing everything. She falls down much like Jairus, but she's confessing. I did it. It was me. She's probably saying everything that's true about her life, just opening up publicly for everyone to know. But Jesus flexes his posture flexes his purpose and his care. He didn't want to cast her out. He wanted to see her. He wanted to bless her. And he wanted to send her out. Because not only was she saved and healed from her struggle, but he told her, go in peace. You see, she's still supposed to be unclean for another week. She's still supposed to be an outcast. She's still supposed to live like her old situation. But Jesus had a way of superseding what was true. He didn't become unclean from touching her, but she became clean from touching him, right? Jesus rescued her from shame. He sent her in peace, which one commentator said means not just freedom from an inner anxiety, but the wholeness or completeness of life that comes from being brought into a relationship with God. Is there anyone in this place who would say, I have been filled with the wholeness. I have been freed from my shame. He has pulled me out. He has rescued me. He has delivered me. I love this because unlike her society, Jesus cared for the most insignificant. So if you feel insignificant, you are in great company. He used to have a buddy named Keyshawn. He had a song, and in it he said, I was feeling overlooked. Yeah, that's because God was watching me. And that bar has never left me. I also had a prof who said it much differently. He said, in attending to this woman on the inferior rungs of the social ladder, while on his way to help another at the superior rungs, Jesus demonstrates nobody is beyond his concern. He cares for his disciples. Isn't that good news? And look at this. Mark goes to great lengths to display that she is a disciple. Oh, man, this is so cool. 
y'all just gonna have to nerd out with me for a second, okay? All right, because this is gold. John Bautista, I know you, I know, I know, all right? Look, first thing is that she comes from behind Jesus, which is the same word from the second sermon of Jesus' call to follow after him, to follow behind him. She's behind Jesus. You see her faith. He says, your faith has saved you. She's brought into the family. Jesus calls her daughter. She suffers like Jesus. Mark is masterful. The only uh, time that the word for suffering is used is of her and Jesus. Also, the word for affliction that's used for her is the same word that's used for scourging in chapter 10 with Jesus. The fifth thing, she sheds blood like Jesus. The only time that that happens, you can see that in chapter 14. And I know I'm, 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 I'm up here right now, but come on, come on, come on. She's told to go, which is the same word that was used for the ex-demoniac, the new disciple from last week. She's told to go. Here's the point. Whatever it is that you've gone through, whatever pain, whatever struggle, whatever shame, whatever it is that you have experienced, Jesus is strong enough to use that to form you as a disciple. All you got to do is pay attention to his power. Pay attention to his power. It is at work within you, past, present, and future. That's good news, but there's also a little bit of tough news here, that there are other things working to form you, to mute your ability to pay attention to Jesus' power. Call them like a, maybe like voice or something, the voices that we keep around Jesus, notice, didn't listen to the disciples' dissenting comments in the passage. They're like, Jesus, what do you mean? Don't you see the crowd? And he's like, I'll tell you what I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see faith. He didn't listen to them. That's the third point. Pay attention by dismissing distractions. Pay attention. Say pay attention. By dismissing distractions. This guy, Jairus, has three different attacks on his faith. The first one is this woman. The pause on the way, the delay, uh, could probably cause a little bit of anxiety. Like, hey, Jesus, like, I don't know if you know my daughter, you know? Like, she's kind of on her deathbed. But in pausing with Jesus, he was able to witness Jesus' power firsthand. The second assault that came was another interruption, this one including bad news, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Y'all are going to get a lot of that this morning because I thought it was so beautiful. Go read it. It says, it's too late. It's too late. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus responded to that with an assurance that Jairus just needed to continue believing. And the last one was that when they pulled up to the spot, the mourners are outside, which is total confirmation. This person is Dead, dead, for real. And Jesus retorted with a different verdict. Jairus needed to pay attention to Jesus' power, to Jesus' promises, more than the voices that were pulling at his faith. But Jesus goes on. There are three other examples that he provided for us of dismissing distractions. In verse 36, he ignored the messengers. I love this, man. Uh, In the CSB, it says, when Jesus overheard, the funny thing about that word is that it's a double entendre. It also says, like the net translates it, but Jesus paying no attention to what was said. Jesus ignored 
what they were saying because it had no bearing on what he was about to bring about. In verse 37, Jesus shrunk the crowd. I could say some stuff about that, but it doesn't matter. What Jesus wants is a faithful community of followers. Lastly, in verse 40, Jesus expelled the mockers. Now, if you were wondering, Ryan, what was your favorite part of this passage? This is what this is the best. I have no joke been laughing about this all week. You can ask me all week. I've just been cutting up. And then all of a sudden it clicked. And I was like, dang, that's wild. Jesus pushes those who are mocking out of the room. So this this horde of mourners, right? There, some of them are family, some of them are related, but some of them are professional. Because in that time, you would pay people to come and mourn your loss, your grief. It was just a cultural thing. And so this crowd that's here is causing this scene. Jesus calls it a commotion. But he says, hey, she's, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him. <laughs> and Jesus goes full Jordan. Like, and I took that personally. Uh, and he put them outside. Say, put them outside. He put them outside. The word there is ekbalo. You don't need to remember that, but it matters so much to me. The word usually, usually, you can assume that it means to throw out. Generally. And most times that it's used in Mark, it has like a, an idea of force with it. Now, I'm not saying Jesus was violent. That's not my point. But Jesus definitely played bouncer like, hey, you got to go today, all right? He's moving them out. He's dismissing the distraction that they are to the moment. And now everyone can pay attention. Jesus touches an unclean corpse. So now he's supposed to be unclean for a week, but once again, he's transcendent. He doesn't become unclean. She becomes clean. And for the first time in the book of Mark, we see that Jesus is stronger than death. Not just stronger than disease, not just stronger than demons, not just stronger than the wind and the waves, but Jesus has power over death, which we need when we read through this book because we know how it ends. This is a foreshadowing that whatever might come, he's stronger. Even if they take his life, even if they take our life, he is stronger than death, but he's also able to raise us up from sin. He's also able to raise us up from holding on to distractions, from pushing away interruptions. Lastly, the last time you're going to hear me talk about Dr. Curavilla today, okay? He said the focus of this pericope, pericope, he's um, Indian, I believe. Uh, that just means a passage of Scripture. I love the way he says it. I'll always remember it. The focus of this pericope is simply upon the fearless, efficacious faith of the disciple in Christ's ability to handle every such disastrous contingency of disease and death in this life. I read that because I'm like, don't you want a faith like that? Don't we all want a faith that's just like rock solid, can't rock it, bring a storm, my boat is still, right? Come what may, I'm good. We want an it is well type of faith, don't we? Well, if you want that, pay attention by dismissing distractions. Uh, in the Old Testament, Yahweh told Israel to leave the margins of the fields for people who would need to come and take from it. 
Are we leaving the margin of our lives open for Jesus' mission? Or, and this is a serious question, are we addicted to how cramming our calendars makes us feel? Because we might get a hit of dopamine feeling wanted, but over time, look down the line, and who are we becoming? Or are we constantly connected to our phones in ways that keep us from centering on Jesus' power? Again, John Mark Comer said, our time is our life, and our attention is the doorway to our hearts. So disciplines of slowing help dismiss distractions. This might seem like, yo, you missed me. I did not know we were going here. We are here now, all right? This is what we're talking about. It might be of help to you to practice a Sabbath one day in your week to rest in and enjoy God. You want to talk about a way to course correct in the onslaught of hurry. If that sounds like, mm, Ryan, it's a little much, what else you got? Okay? Practicing what's called the daily office, the monastic bell. Set reminders on your phone to stop and practice mindfulness and meditation multiple times throughout your day. And you might be saying, Ryan, it's kind of a lot. Okay? Practice the prayer of examine, which is at the end of the day, uh, practicing mindfulness and meditation to see when during my day was I moving toward God. Was I trying to practice being present with Him? When was I doing the opposite? Maybe moving away from Him. And take that reflection and develop a new way to uh, try tomorrow and then execute the next day. Try it out and then practice the prayer of examine. You might be saying, Ryan, I'm not very good at reflection. Okay, all right. Well, here's the last thing that I could tell you and I'm out of tricks, okay? Okay. My last life hack, parent your phone or parent your, your media intake, your entertainment intake. Uh, I think like average people watch like 30 to 40 hours of content a week, maybe more, which is mind-boggling. We're not, we don't have time. We can't pay attention. But where is our attention going? So maybe putting your phone to bed and waking it up in the morning like you would parent a child or saying, I'm only going to watch this much tonight or tomorrow or one time a week. That may be a help in dismissing the distractions to help you pay attention to what Jesus is up to around you, within you. But here's the second thing. Mission helps a lot too. My goodness. Here's what might be happening. We might be dismissing interruptions and inviting distractions. So again, the, the disciplines of slowing could help, but also um, a definition might help. See, interruptions make you pause with purpose, but distractions pull you away from purpose, okay? Interruptions slow you down, but distractions shut you down. There's a distinction here, and here's a litmus test, okay? You get a phone call. Your phone is ringing, and you look at who it is, and you click the side of the phone to make the ringing stop. Has anyone ever screened a call in this place? 
Oh, y'all are, y'all are holy folk. No one screened it. Sheena, you ain't never screened a call? Oh, I, okay, all right, okay, okay. I'm just making sure. Everybody's hand went up after that, like, don't call my name. <laughs> Me, okay, moving on. Jeez, okay. We've all done it. We have all screened calls in our lives. Why do I bring that up? Because we are in control in that moment. Someone needs you. Lighthearted, heavy, don't matter. But someone's calling out to you. And are you being interrupted? Now that's a distraction. It's not a distraction. That is an interruption. You think that one's hurting? Try this one. We are more likely to answer a notification on our phone than we are a knock at our door. Now, this one hurts for me in particular. I would rather hide. I'm going to be honest, because I don't want solar panels. Like, I know what you're here for. <laughs> I know what you're here for, and I don't want it. It's not like Girl Scout cookies came to my door, because I'd be like, three, three, you got shortbread? All right, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on, okay? I would totally be about that, but they're bringing me solar panels. I'm like, look, I don't, this is what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to come to the door. I'm going to listen to a little, like, one minute. and be like, hey, I got kids. I got to go. But let me tell you, I don't want these solar panels, but you could catch the sun real quick. No, 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 no. Hey, maybe, maybe it's electricity in your neighborhood. They're coming to bring you electricity. You can say, listen, I am bound by contract to my electricity company, but I'm also bound by Christ. You can catch the gospel of Jesus, which is the power of God to save right now. Some of us need to be ready to invite these interruptions. You have opportunity to go fishing, but efficiency has choked the time that you could give to fishing out the cost is so high, and we will continue to screen all of these interruptions, claiming they're distractions, when in reality, we would rather give our attention to things that feel good. Oh, Ryan, that's not on my vision board. Is Jesus' mission on your vision board? That's, listen, this, we got to progress and move forward. I'm talking to myself here. When I listen to this podcast back, I'm going to be like, Ryan, you're right. You are not wrong. So, Pastor Jerry and I did a little bit of an experiment this past week. On Monday, we were meeting. Also, band, cue, they got it. All right, bet. Uh, we were in a meeting, and he's like, man, I need some cashews. I'm like, great. You just, like, Tom Thumb? And he's like, yeah, Tom, let's just go. And I'm like, okay. All right, here's what we'll do. We're going to take some of our little info cards. We're going to go to Tom Thumb. We're going to invite people to church. <laughs> Don't celebrate, please. It was... Uh, Pastor Jerry's laughing because it was terrible for me. It was so, I haven't felt this awkward in ages. It was middle school. I, I, it was painful. Uh, it felt so wooden. It was like I was wearing somebody else's clothes. It was like trying to do a dance that you haven't learned, and you're just like, I know everybody's looking at me. Uh, it was awful. But you know what else it was? Formational. I wasn't distracted. I was paying attention. I went to the grocery store with a bigger purpose than just pushing a buggy. And so late, we had work week. So I've been to Walmart this week. I've been to Lowe's this week. I've been to Home Depot this week. And you better believe that I had invites in my pocket, in my hand, ready to go. Now, I didn't invite that many people, but Marlon got an invite. 
Uh, well, Brother Billy, you know, he's at Lowe's. We was just rapping. He didn't get an invite because he's a part of a church. But I was just ready. I'm not the hero. That's not the point. The point isn't be like me. The point is I need to practice this just like the rest of us. I've been telling you, this, this series is in my pocket. And so are invites. Because the Jesus Storybook Bible ended with this. Jesus was making the sad things come untrue. He was mending God's broken world, and he still is. Jesus is still mending God's broken world, and we can participate. We can jump in on that. Don't let the uh, efficiency, the hurry cost you fishing, cost you formation, cost you going with Jesus on mission. Pay attention Pay attention to Jesus' power by inviting interruptions and dismissing distractions. Pay attention. Thank you again for listening to the Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom.